Hey, Andy Fortuna here, and I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen to Connect and Move Radio. If you are a licensed practitioner, such as a massage therapist, athlete trainer, acupuncturist, physical therapist, etc., who believes in treating the person as a whole, enjoys spending one-on-one time providing hands-on care, and loves helping people improve their confidence, their movement, and facilitate the body's natural inner healing, then I have the course for you the Holistic Movement-Based Practitioner course. It's a mentorship-style course with a three-day live workshop and remote mentorship where we dive into practical assessment and manual therapy skills, movement programming for performance, and energy meditation work. You can find more information in the description at the bottom of this podcast. If you're interested in being part of this immersive educational experience, then take the time right now to sign up. The course is only open to six students, and there's an application and interview process to make sure that this course is right for you. We currently have an active wait list. So if you're interested, you can send an email to andyandmyrenew.com. Thanks again for listening and enjoy this episode. Hold up. Welcome to another episode of Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna. And today we'll be going into the athletic training education and manual therapy and its role in patient care. Today's guest is none other than Dr. Rodrigo Martinez, who is a clinical assistant professor at Florida International University, aka FIU, where he is also served or also serves as the clinical education coordinator. He obtained his bachelor's of science in sports and exercise science in 2007 and the master's of science in athletic training at FIU and his doctor of athletic training at University of Idaho. He has worked at the high school setting for six years before moving in or sorry, moving to Idaho for a two year TA position. He has received formal training in multiple forms of manual therapy, which include mulligan concepts, mobilization with movement, total motion release, myokinesthetic system, positional release therapy, and primal reflex release techniques. Dr. Rodrigo Martinez, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate you for having me so here. So for those of you that don't um, know, which you probably honor. don't, uh, Dr. Rodrigo is actually uh, one of my professors uh, at the master's, or as I was doing my master's in athletic training. So um, when I approached him and he said yes, so you can imagine how excited I was. So thankfully we have him here. He, you know, he's uh, given us some time and, and to talk to us. So uh, Rodrigo, or should I say Dr. Rodrigo, can you tell us a little bit more of kind of like how you got to be where you're at now? And then uh, we'll go into the two topics that we that I mentioned earlier. Perfect. Um, so I kind of just stumbled into athletic training. Um, I was on a um, extra credit assignment in which I needed to log on to a group chat and just engage in scholarly discussion for an extra credit assignment. And um, on my last day, because I had to do it for a couple of days in a row, um, I noticed that somebody was talking about getting their degree in, in um, sports and exercise science. And at that point, I was unaware as Mm -hmm. to what that was or what you could do with it. So I asked the person that was on the other side of the computer, and she gave me a brief explanation that she wanted to go into athletic training. Um, At that point, I was like, I have no idea what that is. So I asked her. She explained. I was like, that sounds pretty interesting. And she gave me the contact information for the program director for the athletic training program at FIU. And I eventually reached out to them. And next thing I know, I was enrolled in the program, graduated. Um, after graduation, I started to work at, uh, at the high school level. And after 
actually the same year that I started, I started mm -hmm. to be a preceptor for the FIU program. Um, after about two years of being a preceptor, um, the program director reached out looking, she was looking for um, lab instructors for the various courses that were taught at FIU. Um, I volunteered, I got assigned to the orthopedic assessment courses um, and served as a lab instructor for about a year and a half. Um, after that, she approached me again and asked me if I maybe wanted to get a little bit more involved in the courses mm -hmm. other than just a lab. And I said, sure, what do you have in mind? She's like, well, I wouldn't mind if you started to lead a couple of classes here and there. And I said, I can do that. And by the end of the discussion, um, I was pretty much in charge of the entire course. So as I did that, um, one of my colleagues that was assigned to the class with me uh, started to try to convince me to go back mm -hmm. to school and, and earn my doctorate. And um, at first I didn't, it wasn't something that I really wanted to do. Um, I think what turns off a lot of people from doctoral education is the research that goes with it. Um, and I think that's what turned me off as well. And um, the more and more I continued to teach in the program, the more and more that uh, my colleague kept insisting that I go back to school. And um, I finally caved and I decided to apply to the DAT at uh, the University of Idaho. So um, I went to Idaho, was there for two years, worked in a free um, clinic uh, for, you know, students, faculty, staff, and the community at large. Got my degree and um, I was on vacation, called, got a phone call from my program director and she's like, hey, I have a spot for you if you want to come down. And that spot, I thought mm -hmm. I was coming in as a, like a third faculty member or fourth faculty member at that point. And then I later found out that it was for my current position of the clinical education coordinator, which kind of threw me off a little bit because mm -hmm. it wasn't something that I was expecting. Um, it was part mm -hmm. of my five-year goal plan. Um, but I got it a lot earlier than what I was expecting. So, so that was a nice little surprise. You start off not with athletic training. What, first of all, you didn't, you didn't know what sports fitness entailed, went into athletic training, and then here you are as one of the key members in a athletic uh, one of the top athletic training programs. Uh, and now you are the clinical educator, right, or clinical assistant professor and also the clin clinical educator uh, coordinator. You didn't expect that, <laughs> at least not as fast as you thought. Correct. <laughs> No, not at all. Um, yeah, if people that know me from like childhood, they're like, you were the last person I would ever mm -hmm. think would even I think, be in And you mentioned academia. something very interesting, which I think I also myself uh, thought about, and I'm sure other people looking into doctoral education is the research side. Um, I am not, I don't think I'll ever be a fan of research. I understand the importance of it. I just rather spend more time on the experience side of it and really learning hands-on. Um, but you took, you, I mm -hmm. mean, the way you, you approach, um, education is a very practical side, obviously, uh, the manual therapy side, obviously that re I really connected really well with you when, it, when I was in, uh, in the program, cause that was kind of like your forte. But um, you bring in the research side, but also with that clinical aspect, that clinical and practical side of it, which I think is very refreshing. And I think it's necessary because if you, you know, if we're just talking about literature and research, one, it can get boring. But at the end of the day, I don't think is that's practical. 
but it is necessary in a sense. Um, so I mean, I, I thought that was awesome. Like your, yeah. your way of teaching and your way of, and your perspective, should I say? Well, and I think that it, it all comes down to the type of doctorate that you're looking for, right? If you're really into research and, and that's your thing, mm-hmm. then a DAT is probably not for you. Um, that's, you know, go the PhD route, do some of that bench research, get the information mm-hmm. out that's important to have. Um, but if you're, if you're a little bit more intimidated with the research, from my understanding, when I look at the, the, the six or seven programs that are out there with the DAT, um, all of them have a research component, but it's not to the degree right. or the level of the PhD. Um, so I- what I was able to learn and apply in my program, as far as the research goes, mm-hmm. was taking a lot of that clinical research, right? So looking at my patient population, seeing if there was anything that I could help. Um, and that's what I ended up doing. Um Put my research program together, looked into mediotibial stress syndrome, and um, kind of tried to come up with a solution mm-hmm. for it and implement well, it in real life. Can you explain, I guess, uh, to the listeners, um, the different forms of, or the different programs for athletic training, um, like bachelor's, master's, uh, doctorate, and then I guess where you see athletic training going, um, and then now with the inclusion of the DAT, how that will affect uh, the profession and how, um, I guess, how academia and education is going to change from there. Yeah. Um, so as far as athletic training, there's currently two routes into the athletic training profession, uh, Mm -hmm. the bachelor's and the master's, your entry-level master's. Uh, the bachelor's though, however, is going away. So about four, maybe No, about four years ago, um, it was decided that in order to enter into the profession that for of athletic training, that you would have to earn your master's in athletic training. Um, So what the Strategic Alliance for Athletic Training, which is the NATA, the BOC, the KD, and the um, NATA Foundation. Um, are trying to do is move the degree so that in order to become an athletic trainer, you have to have your master's. So they're transitioning those B, um, those bachelor's, bachelor's um, programs into master programs. Some of them are closing down. Some of them will move forward with the transition. Um, so that's how it works at the moment. Um, in the past, if you had graduated as an athletic trainer with a bachelor's in science and athletic training and you wanted to obtain your master's, you still could, but it was a post-professional master's and it usually wasn't necessarily tied in with athletic training. Um, that's where a lot of people were doing like sports exercise, sports management, physical education, and mm-hmm. just getting a master's degree that way. Um, what has happened now is that those post-professional master's programs are still around, but they're not as numerous as they used to be. And um, because of the program or the profession moving to the entry-level master's, um, what has also started to develop within the past seven years or so is that doctorate in athletic training program. And the purpose of that is to really help create advanced professionals within or clinical professionals within athletic training. Um, so an advanced practitioner, if you will, that 
is able to conduct research, that is able to um, improve quality of care, that is able to serve as a leader um, within the profession. So that's where like the, the degree is moving towards. As far as the future, obviously bachelor programs should be phasing out mm-hmm. by 2020, I believe. Um, and, or actually it might be 20, I think 2020 is the last time they can accept a cohort. They have to be fully mm-hmm. transitioned by 2022. Um, but don't quote me on that because I might be off a little bit. Um, so as we move into the master's program, at some point, um, if we look at the trajectory of athletic training and how it relates to other healthcare professionals, that of PT, that of nursing, um, they've all gone through a similar transition where the entry level is no longer the bachelor's, nor is it the master's, but it's becoming the, the, the doctorate mm-hmm. in the case of like physical therapy. Um, I, I don't know where I stand on that as the moment. I think I would like for us to stay at the master's level because it still gives practitioners an opportunity to really expand their skills and their knowledge by seeking a doctorate as far as the DAT goes. I feel like if you come into the, into the profession with the DAT, where's the incentive, um, to improve your clinical skills, to improve your scholarly skills. Um, for that, just go straight and get your PhD. Um, so I don't necessarily, I don't think I would want to see the entry level to our profession become a DAT as a result. I think it should be used for just post-professional I mean, education. I, I feel the same way, just in the sense, because then there'll be, I think it'll be a lot harder to, to then have these high school and these collegiate um, athletic trainers have to go through a DAT to be to to fulfill those roles. I feel, I don't know. I feel like that DAT might be an overkill when it comes to that sense. But I think how you approach it and how you word it, like the incentive of prov- or providing the incentive to get that higher education and the higher um, uh, way of thinking. I guess I guess you can say that research embedded uh, type of in, in, uh, education when it comes to uh, the doctorate. I think it's a good way and a good add-on, um, but I think having, like you said, I think having it as an entry level might be a little too much, but we'll see. I mean, again, we might be talking like this now, but. Yeah. The Masters many years right. ago, and here we are. So, you know, in 10 years, 15 years, this conversation will probably pop up again as to do we transition and move to the doctorate as our entry level into the profession. As far as, so I mean, I guess you have seen uh, not only FIU's curriculum, but multiple other curriculums, and I'm sure you have other conversations uh, with other um, professors and practitioners. Um, how have you seen the curriculum within itself um, of athletic training evolve? Um, so I, not I DAT, just both. masters? I mean, let's go masters and then I guess DAT. Okay. Um, from the masters till from when I started till now, I, I see a huge difference as far as the amount of knowledge and information that needs to be included um, in that education. Um, everything from as we move forward, um, 
even though our accrediting body, which is the KD, doesn't give us specific uh, benchmarks, it does talk about like advanced um, first aid, which can be interpreted mm-hmm. by many different ways, right? Somebody might see that as, okay, we need to show how to apply steri strips. Other people might see that as, all right, we need to start to incorporate um, suturing in our in our programs. Um, when I started off, there we were not taught how to reduce mm-hmm. uh, various dislocations, and that is something that, as we move forward, our Katie standards are now asking us to teach students how to do this. Keep in mind that it all mm-hmm. goes back to your state practice laws as well. Um, so the, the the amount of information, uh, the type of information that is now being divulged as we move forward has changed. And I think it will continue to change, um, which I think has its pros and cons. Um, I would prefer that we had a more limited and focused view so that we can actually become actual professionals and actual experts in those fields, as opposed to trying to get a little bit of everything, a little bit here, a little bit there, having some information and being a jack of all trades Mm -hmm. and a master of none type of situation. Um, As far as the DAT goes, um, I think the one thing that is in common uh, with maybe the exception of one is the research component that goes behind it. There's all of them, if I'm not mistaken, have a research component tied to them. But the rest of the curriculum is very different. you know, one of the DAT programs focuses on um, entrepreneurial leadership and injury prevention. Another one is very um, manual therapy based. Uh, one of them looks a lot into patient out, uh, patient outcome measures um, and leadership styles and uh, making be- better educators so that you make better athletic trainers. So I think as far as the DAT goes, none of them really have a unique and let me rephrase that. None of them have a specific um, a theme that carries across other than creating better healthcare providers. And how they do that, it's up to the interpretation of Interesting. each Interesting. And, and like you mentioned, as we, as we go on, as these uh, accreditation bodies enforce or add more stuff to be taught to students and to into the curriculum, uh, it starts to evolutionize how these programs are taught and how they start to uh, develop, which I think it's, it's cool. And I think you mentioned a very important thing is um, having so many uh, stuff to learn, right, to be able to cram into a curriculum is good in one way because then you get diverse, but also in the sense of how well you get to dive into those uh, matters plays a big role. But I mean, at, again, at the end of the day, it also gives the mm-hmm. student the opportunity to kind of have an experience in each section and maybe specialize in one part or, or another, or at least give them some type of experience. But again, with anything, you're going to have those uh, pros and cons, which again, with anything. Um, awesome. I mean, what I'm going to do now, I'm just going to review what we talked about so far so we can go into the manual therapy side. And so far, Dr. Rodrigo has talked about his, okay. um, basically his journey from not knowing what sports and fitness was or what it entailed, not knowing what the training was and how he even thought where he was going to be, to going into a, uh, a few years later, going into not only a post, um, 
a postgraduate degree as a DAT, a doctor in athletic training, but then also coming back and then actually teaching and becoming uh, a big role in a program himself that he, again, uh, years back didn't really knew or didn't know <laughs> didn't know existed so i think that's a pretty cool uh, journey within itself and again having the experience to be taught and to be able to be uh uh mentored by dr rodrigo he uh, his perspective not only meshing clinical and practical um research or should i say research and clinical practice um is very refreshing and it's 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 good to have um within a faculty and then we also mentioned the evolution of athletic training, how it went from bachelor's to master's and now the DAT and how uh, how the evolution of that is going to happen, whether um, the master's is going to be is going to maintain the entry level or is DAT going to be the entry level. Um, as Dr. Rodrigo mentioned, the bachelor's is going to transition. The time frame is not really uh, clear, but it is going to transition into a master's only, um, which at the, day, at the end of the day, it's going to increase the the level of profession right it's going to increase the education um which is always good but then you always have the cons uh pros and cons to everything and then again we talked about having um having the diversity within a curriculum of being able to learn a lot in a short amount of time but also the con of that is is, um, not being able to focus or to really become a professional expert in those matters but at the end of the day, it gives the students um, and those that are being, um, I guess, brought into that, um, into that curriculum, an opportunity to maybe take that and use it as a niche or use it as special uh, as a specialty because of their experience through it. And maybe they liked it and they, they never got experience to it or got exposed to it. Uh, gives them the opportunity to then really dive in after the education um, and become really and become true expert, experts. Um, now. As we, which, which the biggest topic that I was really interested in is the manual therapy side. How do you see manual therapy, uh, or I should I say the manual, ther- manual therapy and its role in patient care, and then how you see manual therapy evolutionizing within treatments? Because now it's becoming a bigger thing. The more uh, the more we start to use it, it becomes more of a of a bigger tool. Right. I think a lot of practitioners, including myself, are going away from modalities or maybe using more uh, their actual hands rather than um, anything else in the clinic. Yeah. Um, before I answer that, I just want to backtrack a little bit. Um, the transition to the master's has to it will be for the fall okay. of 2020. That's when all the bachelors have to be a master's okay. or um, not exist. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the all the bachelor's programs were either closed or transitioned by that point. Um, so to answer your second question, um, manual therapy. Um, that's an interesting one for me. Um, if I look at my own personal practice, and I can only base it off of that, um, when I started off as, a, as an athletic trainer, um, I think my manual therapies mm-hmm. consisted of a massage. Um, very big into uh, therapeutic exercises and using modalities. And as time went by, I kind of started moving away from that. And um, going to my doctor doctoral program really helped solidify the use of manual therapy. Um, 
I think it's very important. I think um, there's nothing better or more personal that you can do than um, use your hands for healing purposes. And that, that touch, the research behind it, the ability to put your hands on somebody um, is so, it's unmeasurable as far as how effective it can actually be. Um, with that being said, as far as where I see and how it relates into or falls into rehab, it's, it's not just the ability to use your hands, but it's also the words and our thoughts and our actions that really make a huge difference. And um, what do I mean by that? So if we look at a couple of uh, some research that's out there, they, they talk about the, the meaning or the weight behind what we say when we're, when we're in, in patient care. So if we look at that research, there were three, three groups, um, a control that just the manual therapy techniques were applied, um, and then two um, other groups, one group in which negative feedback was provided. In other words, I don't know if this is going to work. We'll just give it a try. And then the second group um, in which they were given positive feedback. What we're going to do is awesome. You're going to feel great. Um, you want to take a guess as to which of the three groups have the best results as far as like the patient outcomes Probably go? The positive ones. The one with the positive feedback. Yeah. The positive. Absolutely. Um, so it's not just the ability to put your hands on somebody, but it's the way you interact with your patients. Um, as far as manual therapy for me and in my own personal practice, I have moved away a lot from modalities. Um, I would say probably 99% of my patient care is or comes from manual therapy. Uh, the remaining 1% is modality and therapeutic exercise. Um, and it's just what I have seen that has worked with my patients. Um, I will caveat that with that I don't necessarily work with high school or athletics, like mm -hmm. university athletics or collegiate athletics. Um, I am currently still clinically active and um, I only put in a few hours uh, a week, but my population is more of like the weekend warrior, um, grandma, grandpa, back in uh, about a year ago type of situation um, where I feel that the manual therapy or the ability to use my hands allows me to correct postural issues. It allows me to identify tissue that might need some work um, and fixing that in order to help decrease their pain, increase their range of motion by improving their quality of movement or correcting any postural deviations that might be present. I think you mentioned something super powerful, right? I mean, we were talking manual therapy, but I think your input where you said interaction, I think the interaction is the most important part of manual therapy. I think that's what it's probably the the biggest aspect because it doesn't matter you know sure the technique that you use is important and your efficiency in that technique but i think like you mentioned in, like how the research showed there was technique used with negative and technique used with positive feedback 
obviously the one with positive feedback had a higher um, outcome or better outcome just because of the perception of that patient's um, outcomes, right? What that patient uh, was looking forward to, was expecting, right? Was expect um, and I think a lot of times people, you know, you go into these courses, you go into this education where you think, okay, I want to learn the best technique, the best technique to, to do this and A, Y, and Z. I think sometimes we lose sight of that interaction, that experience, that the way we talk. And you mentioned that words, not only are they important, but they carry a certain weight, right? They carry this, this uh, yeah. essence of being able to change how someone's perception of not only of you, right, but of their pain, of their injury, of their limitation. It, it, it really changes things. It really connects not only physically, but and then now on an emotional level, connects more on a you know, nervous system. We want to go down that route, down that route. Um, so manual therapy, obviously as yeah. a tool, but now in conjunction with the interaction, which I've never heard that heard it that way. So manual therapy plus interaction, that's where you get the biggest. And then now you couple yeah. it with movement programming, which like you mentioned, therapeutic exercise and corrective exercise, where you're able to not only feel certain things that you wouldn't be able to feel otherwise, but you're able to, like you mentioned, correct postural, uh, postural distortions, uh, identify limitations within tissues and other stuff, and then correct these deviations. Um, but again, it's providing that interaction, providing those, those positive and encouraging words, um, giving the person the opportunity in the sense to heal because at the end of the day, the body heals itself and we're just the facilitators, you know, I think. Correct. And, and it's not just words, Andy. I think it, it's your demeanor too. True. Like if you're having a bad day, even if you're trying to be like, even if you are providing adequate or good patient education as to why you're doing something, if if you're there and something else is on your mind and you're not giving your patient the attention mm -hmm. that they deserve, they feel that. And I have noticed in my own practices on days where, you know, life wasn't going the way I wanted it and I would treat patients, I didn't necessarily have the best outcomes. But on days when, you know, everything's going your way, you're having a great day, the exact same mm -hmm. um, treatment on a very similar type of patient had amazing results. Um, even that same patient on which on day one, I treated them a certain way, they came back two days later and I treated them the exact same way and my demeanor was better, they saw better results too. Lord. So it's not just what you're saying, but it's how you're doing it. This is a, apart from the actual technique. You're saying like how you're carrying yourself. How you're carrying yourself. The actual technique, mm. correct. Interesting. Let's, can, let, can we define interaction? So we talked about words and demeanor. Is there anything else that plays a role in, in that interaction with the patient outside of technique? Um, well, I, I don't think so. Cause I feel like from the interaction mm -hmm. is it's taking that time, even before yeah. you start with like taking a history yeah. and just asking them how they're doing. Now, I think getting, a, um, as personal as you can with the patient, right. um, without crossing any boundaries and just ask them, Hey, how's your life going around? I know last time you were here, you're complaining about, or mm -hmm. talking about X, Y, and Z. How are, how's that coming along? You better now? Good. Tell me what happened mm -hmm. um, as far as your injury goes, right? Uh, so I've noticed that 
that that seems to really open your patient mm -hmm. up a more. It gives them, it, it establishes that that trust. Okay, I, I'm not just another person in here that you're treating. Here's my fifty dollars. Um, you're actually right. taking the time to know me. Um, so sometimes on their charts, I'll write down like you know, mother of two, mm -hmm. boy girl. So I'll ask them, oh, how are your children doing? Everybody good? Cool. Let's start your program. And I think it, it really opens them up. It really gives them a sense yeah, of human care. Rather than just this number or this uh, person that's injured. I think that's super. Uh, yeah. So I guess for the definition of interaction, as part from our conversation, we're going to say in a tier, we're going to say mm -hmm. uh, demeanor, because it's usually the nonverbal that gets um, communicated first. Uh, then you have words, yes. and then within those words is that trust and relationship that you're able to build with uh, your patients. And like you mentioned, this is even before history taken, right? And I think I think you made a, a valuable uh, observation yeah. where you get to open them up, right? Rather than them thinking of, okay, another doctor's visit or another therapy, uh, more like, okay, I'm going to go visit Dr. Rodrigo. And, you know, I can't wait to tell him how so-and-so is doing or, yeah, I'm having pain, but you know what? Last weekend I was able to do this and this. You know, you open them up and I think it gives them a different perspective uh, rather than just being in pain. Right now it gets it gives them a perspective of how life is doing, you know. So I think having those Absolutely. those three criteria in a sense, because I, I know for me, if I can kind of not put them in a box, but have some type of visual when it comes to interaction, I think those three, I think, play a big role. Um, I mean, you mentioned a, a very important aspect, like. I think for you and I, like how you practice and how I practice are very similar. Our demographic is very similar. We don't see the high volume. We don't see, you know, the the basketball team or the, you know, the, the football team. We don't have uh, this giant volume of either athletes or patients that we have to take care of. How do you see um, using manual therapy and, and patient interaction like this in that type of setting or in that type of environment being able obviously you can't spend as much time but i guess how how would we be able to implement for someone that's listening right now how would they be able to implement something like i said this type of interaction that we're talking about huh well i think a lot of it has to do to educating your patients and and, and your student athletes right um Athletic trainers are, are glutton for punishment. They, a lot of us, and I include myself in there because I, I, I used to do this a lot, not so much anymore, but I still do it from time to time. Uh, three individuals walk in and you yeah. want to see all three of them at the same time. And, you know, you just, you, you can, but at that point, are you sacrificing patient care in order to provide treatment? Mm-hmm. OK, um, I know one of the things that um, I've learned to do is schedule people and make appointments. And unless somebody walks in with like a medical emergency or they're bleeding yeah. or they yeah. need something like ASAP, then you tell, you, you know, double check with them. Everything. OK, cool. I'm busy with the patient right now. I can schedule 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 you in in about 20 minutes or 10 minutes or, or whatever it is. Um, and that way you're able to use the manual therapies. One of the 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 
and that, let's grab that same scenario, right? You have three patients um, that walk in and you kind of do like a quick triage to see who needs what or what or what they need. And then uh, you, in order for you to kind of work with all three of them simultaneously, you might just put them on some form of modality mm-hmm. that takes up some of their time, right? And I'm not saying give them a, mo- a modality just for, for a modality sake, but give them a modality that when applied properly and you're not just hitting acute start, um, actually has some type of therapeutic effect, right? Um, and that can mm-hmm. kind of free you up a little bit so that you can focus on, on one of those three, do some manual therapy techniques, then put them on another form of a therapeutic exercise or have them do some uh, modalities with the purpose, and then you can move on to the next patient and kind of move all three if that's what you needed to do. Um, I know uh, friends in the profession that have gotten a lot of pushback from their coaches um, saying that it's ridiculous that our, our guys or girls need to make an appointment to see you if you're here. And it's, but all, again, all of that is education, not just patient education, but coaching education and talking to upper administration and be like, look, you want us to provide amazing patient care. I can't do that if I have five or six or seven people in here at the mm-hmm. same time and I'm the only one in the clinic. So either hire more people or we move to a schedule. And an appointment uh, system. I think you. <clears throat> go ahead. No, go ahead. So, okay. uh, no, I, I think it can be done. I know um, of multiple uh, colleagues of mine that are in a, to more of a traditional collegiate uh, or high school setting mm-hmm. where they are very hands on um, and they're able to see their patient load within a day and still go to practice and still, you know, work at the games and do everything that traditional athletic training does. Um, a lot of people might even complain about, it's like, well, if I'm if I'm doing all this manual therapy, I don't have time to set up the field. My response to that is, well, you shouldn't be setting up the field to begin with. I know hydration is part of our role. I know that getting the water to where it needs to be is something that we need to do, but I don't think an athletic trainer should be doing that. Because um, the moment you can pick up Joe Schmo from the, from the, um, the street, and they can come in and do your job or what is perceived to be your job, mm-hmm. like water duty. And how, what value does my career have or my profession have? Right. Cause why am I going to pay you, your salary, all this money when I can just get somebody off of the street and give mm-hmm. them $10 a game and they'll come and do it. So I, I am very opposed to athletic trainers doing field setup. Um, for that same reason, I think it it it, it diminishes um, our standing in the healthcare profession. Wow, you said a lot there, and I'm gonna. So the first thing you said, and you kind of said it, and kind of snuck by it. But for the listeners listening, I think he he made uh, a, a very subtle um, what's the word difference? There's a better word, but I'm gonna say difference between patient care and treatment, right? And I think from my interpretation is. Patient mm-hmm. care is when you're able to provide the care that you want to individualize to that patient versus just giving the treatment that's that could help at that point. And then that, that way you can treat more people. At least that's how I got it. Right. You, you mentioned the, the example of the three athletes or the yeah. three patients coming in and having a triage, whether they're 
do they have an immediate medical uh, necessity right now? No. Okay. I'm handling with this patient right now. Please schedule. All right. And that's where it comes, uh, the, the difference between schedule and triage and then schedule and also having to work with uh, multiple patients at one time. So I think you made a very distinct or there you go, distinction between patient care and treatment, which I think um, to the outsider looking in, it, it sounds the same, but it's completely different. Am, am I off by that? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it's two different things. Mm. Anybody can provide treatment. I think patient care is limited to um, to the amount of, mm -hmm. to a certain amount of individuals. And then you mentioned a, a great example of the difference between scheduling, right, twenty minute blocks or whatever it is, versus just having the entire team come in and you trying mm -hmm. to <laughs> trying to triage or trying to work with us, you know, try to do as much as you can, right? Um, and you know, I think that I've, I've I yeah. was in a rotation where we did have to work with athletes, but we did have that scheduling um, aspect, right? Where the athletes knew from this time to this time, they will get treated and they will often be separated into groups. And even those, gr those groups have to um, schedule themselves. One with a team of, let's say, two or three athletic trainers, it makes it easier to treat more. But even then, having being able to kind of individualize treatments um, makes for better care. Obviously, we know that, but sometimes it's hard. And I, knew, I think you gave that other option of, hey, I know I don't use modalities very often, but a good way uh, to be able to supplement right that time or that buffer is to use a modality, not just any, one that has this very good indicated therapeutic effect that will now complement what you're going to do once you're mm -hmm. actually seeing that patient one-on-one, um, -on -one, whether it's 10 or 15 minutes. So yeah, their care is 20, yeah. 30 minutes, or maybe uh, 20 minutes, 10 minutes on a modality, 10 minutes with you doing hands-on stuff, and then you give them another 15 to 20 minutes of, of exercise-based stuff. So now, again, is it this very condensed um, treatment? Probably not, but you give them the best type of patient care, not just treatment, um, where you get to talk to them, see how they're doing on a personal level, but you also give them the treatment. And again, you're, you're treating multiple people and in some cases, the entire team. So I think that was very good. Cause a lot of times, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of athletic trainers, you know, I would love to give the perfect treatment. It's not necessarily about giving the perfect treatment, but it's giving the best patient care you can. And whether that's 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, yeah. like how I usually work with people, but even 10 or 15 minutes that you can give to a person and open them up to really, not, first of all, to be able to give them valuable education is big. Yeah. Make them feel that you're there for them, that you're, you know, you're my main priority at this point in time. I think that's that's super important for, an, especially for an athlete, right? We, we can go into sports psychology, but uh, for an athlete that's dealing with, you know, student load, or should I say uh, workload as far as educational um, stress when it comes to competition, injuries, you know, relationships, there's so much that they have to go through along with the actual growing, again, I'm talking more like collegiate, but even the professional uh, side and even in the high school side, there's so much things going on apart from that injury. I think opening, opening up their conversation into actual human being interaction um, is a therapeutic effect within itself. Yeah. Um, man. That was a lot being said. So patient care versus treatment, which is big, schedule versus triage, and sometimes the mix of the two. And then we talked about time management with the use of modalities and then supplement, uh, supplementing with education. And I think you also made another distinction between uh, patient education and coach education. 
Sometimes, you know, sometimes the coach doesn't understand why, you know, you don't necessarily have time or why you have to have to schedule. It's just another hurdle for the athlete or for the patient or whatever. But, you know, I think going to common ground with the coach and having them understand, hey, first and foremost, I want this team to be as healthy as possible for me to be able to do that. I need to be able to give the care that yep. I need to give them. And sometimes it's doing that scheduling and, you know, using that time management skills. Um, man, that was, that was a lot. That was a lot. That was a lot. Um, all right. So we've reviewed, we've answered the questions now for the last bit of it. Um, how can, if, you know, if any of the listeners yeah. have questions or anything like that, how can they contact you? Um, what's the best way to reach you? Okay. Um, email is probably the best. It is Martin R. That is M A R T I N R at okay. FIU.edu. Perfect. And don't worry, listeners, you know, you don't have to crash your car trying to write this down or, you know, wrap up with a dog's leash or something like that. I will put the, all the information at the bottom of this podcast episode. So you have that information. You can reach Dr. Uh, Rodrigo Martinez. Um, what else? What else? Do you happen to have any social media anything that you'd like them to follow or possibly a, uh, if you don't, also a book recommendation? Book recommendation. Ooh, that one's good. Let me see. Um, a book recommendation. There is, um, I would need to see what the author is on that. Um, there's an applied kinesiology mm-hmm. book um, that I believe is pretty good. Um, but I don't know the author off the top of my head. If you give me a couple of minutes, I'll be able to find it for you. Worst, worst case scenario, uh, you can give me the information at the end of this podcast and I will make sure to include it. So it's an applied kinesiology book that I'll make sure to add it at the bottom of this podcast. So you should see it. Um, now, for the next part, as you're looking for that, we can, uh, again, I can mention the information at the bottom of the podcast is our speed round. So basically the speed round is you have 0.3 seconds to answer the questions and whatever comes up first is what you say. Okay. Are you ready for that? Yes. Are you nervous? It's okay to be nervous. (laughs) Just a little. Okay. That's okay. All right. (laughs) Question number one, favorite color. Blue. Blue. Okay, not bad. Hip-hop or rap? Hip-hop. Wow. Rock or country? Oh, rock, for sure. Hip-rock. Or what would you say, rock? Rock, rock. Okay. And the last one, favorite superhero? Favorite superhero? Um. Oh, my God. Uh, Wolverine. Uh, try again. <laughs> We're going to try again. We're going to try again. Ready? Superman or Ready. Batman? Batman. Wow, that was that was close. You were really thinking that yeah, one. Yeah, I didn't really think about that one. But no, Batman. Because okay. Batman does it on his own merit. Superman is gifted. Wow. Because- I like the explanation. Nice. That was good. Well, that's what went ahead. <laughs> you <laughs> um, First and foremost, I'd like to end uh, the podcast with thank yous. The first thank you is to you, Dr. Rodrigo. Uh, thank you oh, for giving uh, giving us the time, giving myself the time to talk and just to share your insight in athletic training, in patient care, manual therapy, and, and how to improve 
um, those that we work with. So thank you for your time. I know you're a busy man doing a lot of things uh, within our profession. So thank you very much. No, thank you. I greatly appreciate this opportunity to talk to you and, uh, and to your listeners. So thanks. No problem. And then the second thank you, there's three of them. Thank you to the listeners because we can be on here talking all this value, but if there's nobody to listen to, then it really means nothing. So if you're right now jogging and running, or maybe you're doing some homework, actually probably not doing homework because it's summertime, um, or maybe you're driving to work or driving home from work, I want to thank you for giving uh, Dr. Rodrigo and myself the time uh, to talk about these topics and you know share this value. Um, it's something that we are very passionate about. So you could have been doing anything at this very moment. You could have been listening to anything, maybe even your favorite hip hop station, maybe even a movie. I don't know, but you gave us the time and you're listening. So thank you very much. Um, the last thank you is to our clients, to our students, to our patients. Uh, thank you very much for giving us the platform, right? The opportunity to share this value. Again, like I mentioned, we are very passionate in what we do. So again, if we didn't have um, patients, if we didn't have students, there was no, there would be nobody to share, share our passion with, to share our skills with, to share um, our knowledge with. So thank you very much um, for the opportunity. And thank you for cherishing uh, what we have to say and our skill set. Thank you very much. With that being said, this is Connected Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna, signing out. Hey there, Andy Fortuna here, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. I love the opportunity to connect and share information with passionate people just like you, and would love the opportunity to do the same for others. So please take the time right now to leave a five-star review and help spread the word about this podcast. Thank you so much for your support, and see you on the next episode. Hold up.